from Television City in Hollywood. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com. The only place to be in your pop culture world. Discretionary viewer participation is advised for the following professional wrestling exhibition. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, greetings from Allentown is not taped in front of a live studio audience. episode 162 of Greetings from Allentown. I'm your host, Peter Winson. And today, to wrap up the trilogy of lead-ins to WrestleManias from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, I'm going to be taking a look at WWF Sunday Night Heat. I'm not entirely sure if it was Sunday Night Heat at this point, but it was, was on Sunday night, of course, airing right before WrestleMania X7. Now, I'm going to call it 17 because I'm tired of this X7 stuff. From April 1st, 2001. And no, this is no April Fool's joke. I am certainly above some childish stuff like that. I'm, I'm not playing an April Fool's joke on you. Although the ending of this show uh, may well have been an April Fool's joke to the audience, given how many people were turned off it at the end. Th- this is a show, WrestleMania 17, that... While obviously I seem to favor the era in the 80s and up into the early 90s, and yes, obviously I was watching during the Attitude Era, I certainly have a soft spot in my heart for this show in its entirety. Just even though it ended an era, what a way for it to go out. So before I get into more on that, why don't I get in my plugs? You can email the show, greasemallentown at gmail.com. Your emails are greatly appreciated because I... <laughs> I need stuff to read at this point. I mean, I'm I'm reading books on the 1979 Bruins at this point is what I'm reading. Facebook.com slash Greeks Valentown. Give me a follow on Twitter at GF Allentown Pod. That is at GF Allentown Pod. And you may be listening to the show on the Pro Wrestling Only feed. And do check out all the other great programs here on Pro Wrestling Only. So this is now week three of the quarantine, as it were. I mean, yeah, I'm able to go out like twice a week and going out basically consists of trying to only go to one place uh, at, you know, in in a given trip because you don't want to you don't want to go to more than one place and kind of spread yourself around. So what I do is like I I will go to the drugstore and buy allergy medication, but I did combine it with something on Saturday. And I think this is a good idea. Well, for anybody who is really in need of beer at this point in time, which would, which would be me, but I mean, I'm I'm drinking more beer, but yet somehow I lost a few more pounds. But that was because I realized that I am just not snacking, despite the fact that I am working from home, because I have experience in that realm. I'm not eating chips all the time, and it might also be because I don't want to eat chips on the regular because. I know that I'm not going to be able to just be able to run out to the store and get more whenever I want to. So it's almost like a self-ration of eating. And that's why now I'm somehow at my lowest weight since 2004, which I, I don't get entirely except for the fact that I think my gallbladder was like 
causing me to put on weight and I, I don't know the science behind it. Maybe that'll be the next book that I read when I'm done with that 79 Bruins book and when I'm done with my 86 Celtics watching on YouTube. But on Saturday, a lot, a lot of the breweries around here have orchestrated pickups. And when, when, you, when you're kind of locked in your house and, you, and you're quarantined, well, I'm willing to drive far to pick up said beer. So I went 45 minutes down to Worcester, Massachusetts to Wormtown Brewery because I knew that they would have a pretty good setup there and where there's like a little lane that you would drive down and they come out and because you've prepaid, you show your ID through the window. I had my receipt and they just loaded the cooler that I had put in my trunk. I, I had told them that like through the crack in the window. Yeah, there's a cooler back there. So there's like $120 worth of beer that I ended up bringing home. And I've drank quite a bit of it so far. Uh, even though it's only been about four or five days. But also they were getting selling pizza from the place next door, so I threw in a large cheese pizza as well, just because I wanted to try the place, and I've never been there before. So I think what I'm saying is I know that it's difficult out there for a lot of people, and some people, maybe even listening to the show, have been laid off from their jobs or whatnot, and it's it's really tough out there. But if you are able to support, you know, a small business or a delivery person, I mean, right now I'm way over tipping delivery people just out of appreciation. I mean, some dude delivered me two roast beef sandwiches last weekend, and I think I tipped 25 bucks on it because, well, I did get onion rings also. So I learned that that place has really good onion rings. You can't, you can't put a price on a place that has really good onion rings. And honestly, going back to the whole job thing, I was very paranoid earlier this week because I was coming up on my six months since I'd started with the company. And I thought to myself, does six months mean anything in terms of, well, they can dump you with that? I mean, I don't know. My mind was kind of racing. I mean, my paranoia, I guess, isn't that high for somebody who's been cooped up for a couple of weeks. I mean, thank God for old sports on YouTube for that. But as it turns out, it it was a meeting with my boss via Zoom, and it said organizational structure meeting. And I thought, oh, crap. So you're going to be like an HR person on this. No, it was actually about how it's splitting up into an implementation side and a consulting side and which side would I end up being a better fit for going forward in the company. So whew, that's that was a load off my back. I, I couldn't fall asleep for about seven minutes last night. And for those of you who know me, I could pretty much fall asleep at, at any point in time, especially when I've had a little bit to drink. All this talk about beer reminds me, I haven't had one in about 90 minutes as I sit here right now, so I think I'm going to crack one open. There we go. I'm not trying to do that Conrad thing where it's a advertisement for Miller Lite or whatever. I mean, this is, this is Wormtown's Irish Red. I've always been fond of red ales for whatever reason. They have a very soft spot in my heart. It might have been the time, I think it was my 27th birthday, where I went to the dearly departed Sunset Grill in Alston, Massachusetts. And they had a very extensive beer menu, and they would group it by category. And one night, I just decided to make it my goal that I was going to do the wheel, 
which was get every single red ale that they had. And I think there was about eight or nine of them. And I accomplished my goal, which, you know, I probably didn't feel great the next day. But uh, and I think I accidentally uh, groped a female friend because I thought it was my girlfriend. But, you know, that that's that's fine. You know, these things happen when you're in a bar. So I'm going to have to get more Wormtown Irish Red. I just realized that I cracked open this beer and I'm not going to be able to drink it as I'm podcasting here because it's not like I have Keithy on the other side as, yes, I did a Greetings from Allentown live last week, released on Saturday night at 6.05. I figured that that would be, hmm, oh, that's good. A nice little homage. Everybody likes wrestling at 6.05 on Saturday. And I figured, nice little thing to just throw it out there and watch a wrestling program and kind of go through it. Yeah, there's maybe a few kinks to work out in terms of being able to listen to the sound. That could be helpful. I could hear it. I don't think he could. But we're going to try it again with something else. And I think my thing is I, I want it to be something that he's never seen before, at least in the short term for these. Because I knew he was going to flip out when Lucius Brown or Luscious Brown or whatever his name was showed up on that wrestling challenge from 1986. Yes, it was Virgil before he was Virgil. And it was everything we could have hoped it would be. It is important to just do something different. Even though I saw via PodTrack that people are listening to fewer podcasts now that they're working at home. And I have to admit, it is a little bit harder with the work at home. And I've had a lot of YouTube going on in the background if I've been in front of a TV. And yes, the podcast consumption has been going down. But my podcast production has been going up so it's kind of a kind of a weird laugher curve going on with that it's also important because psychologic the, the psychology of this whole quarantine is going to be interesting to me like six months to a year from now and how people sort of react to this so you have to do things that make you happy and wrestlemania 17 always brings a smile to my face not because it's you know, one of the best WrestleManias, which it, it is by virtually all accounts. I mean, I'm more of an old school fan, but even I will admit that this 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 card delivers the mail pretty much from top to bottom. The silly stuff is fun. The good mat the the good quote unquote wrestling matches are good, even though there's a murderer in one of them. But uh, we'll get to that a little bit later. And anybody who's my age, which soon to be 41 years old, and apparently I will still be in quarantine when that takes place later in April, uh, everybody has a WrestleMania 17 story. Or I, I would assume that they would anyway. Like, you remember where you were when you saw this. The same way people would have seen, feel the same way about WrestleMania 3. Now, I saw WrestleMania 17 at... Hooters at North Station, which is no longer there. Of course, I'm I'm in the North Station area very frequently for Boston Bruins games. Of course, SummerSlam allegedly coming this August. Who knows if that's going to go off as planned. But Hooters is no longer there, in case you were excited about making a pilgrimage there. In fact, it's been two or three places since then, and it's kind of like this weird Bermuda Triangle in that you think that because it's near a sports stadium like TD Garden that Hooters would be doing, would have done better. Well, part of it might be a rent issue, but also in 2000, 2001, 
that time frame, the Celtics and the Bruins were no great shakes. In neither of those years did either of those teams make the playoffs, although the Bruins missed on a tiebreaker to Carolina in 01, and uh, they were definitely better than Carolina. I don't care what anybody says. 2001 Boston Bruins, my favorite non-playoff Bruins team of all time, in case you really want to know mindless crap about me. So you go into Hooters for this, and you know it's a four-hour show. I can't even imagine going into a restaurant for WrestleMania now, given that, well, I mean, the current one's going to be over two days, but and you can't go to restaurants. But uh, I'm, I'm talking about, like, can you imagine going to, like, WrestleMania 32 and sitting in a restaurant for that entire thing for, like, all seven hours? I don't think I could do it. I just remember, like, we, we kept having food brought over, and, like, you don't eat, don't eat too fast, don't drink too fast when you're watching WrestleMania 17. I remember I was sitting like by one of the front windows, I think it was, and I was kind of far away from the TV, but I could see it very, very well. So I could kind of take in the way everybody else, you know, felt about the show. Like just take in like the crowd and all that. Oh, and 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 by the way, I don't really go to bars at North Station anymore cuz it's all kind of passé to me i mean the boston beer works is fine but they close the upstairs too often and that's the place to get away from the crowd so i actually go down to bukowski's in the back bay so like i go i go closer to fenway park for my td garden bar because i'm a bit of a weirdo and speaking of sports stadiums the astrodome which was once called the eighth wonder of the world long before andre the giant or anybody else or any other thing was called that opened in 1965 but flash forward to 2001 and it's pretty much out of commission wrestlemania 17 is like the last big thing that was held in that building because the astros had moved out after the 1999 season so there's no baseball going on there the houston oilers had unceremoniously left after the 96 season and moved to nashville which has always struck me as kind of a weird thing like you you have an nfl team in houston texas texas you're 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 an nfl team and you leave texas now i know nashville it it was an up-and-coming city and all that and it's a great city but Houston, Texas is like a top six or seven media market. And I know the Astrodome was kind of falling on hard times, but it, it, it was there where you got the name AstroTurf, which they had to put in the fake grass in that stadium because they tried real grass because they had a translucent roof in the hopes that they could have real grass. The problem was it, because the stadium was built for baseball, anytime somebody would hit a pop-up, the light off the ceiling because it was translucent nobody could see pop-ups so it was kind of an adventure for both infielders and outfielders some great moments happened in that building long in advance of wrestlemania 17 the ncaa college basketball game the game of the century as it was known between ucla and houston and ucla had a long winning streak going in that kareem abdul jabbar playing for the UCLA Bruins, and Houston actually prevailed in that one. It's a very famous game. It aired in prime time in the United States. I think it may have been the first prime time NCAA college basketball game aired in this country. The Battle of the Sexes with Bobby Riggs and Billie Jean King, a tennis event that took place in 1973, where old man Riggs, he was over 50 years old, challenged Billie Jean King to a tennis match which 
I think he might have thrown because I think the the final was like six two six one. It was a real route. Riggs was an old man, but he also beat Margaret Court's ass uh, shortly before that, within a couple of years. And Margaret Court was actually a higher ranked player at the time than Billie Jean King. I saw a documentary that suggested reasons why Bobby Riggs would have thrown it because he had gambling debts. But anyway, it was a historic event for women in sport at that time. And I don't mean to downplay it. I'm just talking about the allegations you know, from that documentary. The most famous baseball game there is probably the 1986 National League Championship Series Game 6, which ran 16 innings between the Astros and the Mets. A dramatic game where the Astros blew a 3-0 lead in the ninth inning. Mets tie it, and then it goes all those extras. Billy Hatcher ties it. Billy Hatcher. Boy, there's the 1993 me coming out right there. Billy Hatcher, the man who stole home for the Boston Red Sox. And the Mets ended up prevailing in that game. Did not have to face Mike Scott and the scuff ball in Game 7, where it's entirely likely that they would have lost. And then that brings us to 2001, WrestleMania 17. And I do find it interesting that they picked this particular venue. They had not done a dome stadium for a WrestleMania in a really long time, dating back to WrestleMania 8 and the Hoosier Dome, which was kind of a disaster. And because they got cold feet on that idea, they probably screwed themselves out of money. But in 1999 or 2000, if they had run a big dome stadium, they could have sold that out easily in either year. Instead, they ran the Spectrum, whatever the hell they were calling it, the FU Center in Philadelphia. It's had many names over the year. The new Spectrum in Philly, that's about 18,000, I'd say. In 2000, they run the Arrowhead Pond in Anaheim, just as they had done it for WrestleMania 12. Well, that's no more than 20,000 people. You could have run a big dome stadium, kind of like the Silver Dome or Sky Dome, which they would end up doing the following year. And I kind of think there's always this mystique, and I talked about this on the Adams Division podcast that I did with Steve Bennett, which came out earlier this week. And check it out on my feed or on Steve's feed, Sportscaster's feed, or on the Place to Be Nation wrestling feed, how the Silverdome has this mystique amongst wrestling fans, in part because of how huge WrestleMania three was. Some of it has to do with the attendance numbers, but also because the Silverdome fell out of disuse and just sat there for a really long time before being imploded in 2017. Of course, they tried to implode it, failed, and then went back the next day, and they did it. The Astrodome is still there. Because it has landmark status. So I propose that if wrestling fans want to find a new Silverdome now that that place is gone to kind of remember a wrestling event, you could do worse than the Houston Astrodome. Not only, you know, for WrestleMania 17 and the great event that it was, but also for the other great events that took place in the Astrodome and how groundbreaking it was to have this huge dome stadium where. There'll never be a rainout of a baseball game here. Except for that time in 1976 where big, a big rainstorm in Houston flooded the city and they had to postpone the Astros game that day. I, I, I shit you not, not, that actually happened. But enough about the Astrodome, enough about quarantines, enough about all that. Why don't I just get right into it? WWF, Sunday Night Heat, April 1, 2001. There are moments when time stands still, when history unfolds, 
when the world is bound by the magnificence of one singular event. Here, memories are crafted by those brave souls who take great risks, who reach adventurously into history to forge a legacy that endures time. Through all the hardship that is their destiny, the one thing that elevates their spirits is their insatiable thirst for excellence. This is testament to their strength, their unyielding courage. This is WrestleMania, where moments echo through the ages and memories are indelibly etched in the annals of time. This is WrestleMania, the showcase of the immortals. What you just heard over the last 45, 50 seconds is so incredibly pretentious, and I'd love to rip into it, but they're doing it in a time frame where they really could do no wrong in that instance, so it actually is good. But if you cut and paste that exact thing and you put it into, I don't know, WrestleMania 33 or 34, and it's freaking Seth Rollins, well, no, it, it doesn't work quite so well. When it's The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know, they make they make anything good, including Limp Biscuit by the way, which I know Limp Biscuit was the style at the time, but for God's sakes, people associate that one Limp Biscuit song with positive things, and it's all because of the guys involved. If it was to promote, let's say, Seth Rollins versus, I don't know, somebody who sucks as much as Seth Rollins, uh, and nobody rings a bell at this point, but somebody who sucks as much as Seth Rollins and has driven down the audiences to the minuscule number that it is now, if he was facing Seth Rollins, well, then that entire thing would not work. So anyway, right before that, the got the clip of what was coming up on MTV later that night and counter-programming WrestleMania was the Andy Dick show at 9 p.m. I can't think of a more, like, like a celebrity that I hate more than Andy Dick. Like it, he he makes it so that like I don't want to watch the show news radio and like th- that's that's how bad he is okay because I I, ju- I just don't like him at all and speaking of a guy that a lot of people do not like here's Michael Cole who is hosting this program with Taz and that's Taz with two Z's because you got to change the name to differentiate from ECW now Taz and Michael Cole. I'm not going to criticize them. They're, they're not a terrible team. They had good chemistry with each other. They grew together during that decade of the 2000s, allowing Michael Cole to kind of develop his own style away from Jim Ross. And they are overlooking the building from, I guess, one of the luxury boxes of the Houston Astrodome or wherever it was that they parked all the WCW guys during that ridiculous cockamamie, like, all right, wave hi to the camera, uh, WCW guy that literally nobody knows. Like, I, I can't even remember which guys were there. Like, what was it? Mark Jindrak or something like, I don't, I don't even know who was up there. I'm, I'm probably just forgetting it. I don't even think Jindrak was in WCW. Who, who really knows? But once they're done with their blah, blah, just kind of introing the show, of course, you got to cue Rock and Austin, which also means Limp Bizkit comes along for the ride. What's going to happen tonight when Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock enter the ring with the World Wrestling Federation title on the line? It's going to be on. The Astrodome might not be a dome when The Rock and Austin come out. So start 
might come off the top of this joint. The most important goal in the business, the World Wrestling Federation title, is on the line. Be funny if My Way or the Highway was set to trigger every single time Austin's name gets mentioned, or, or The Rock for that matter, because it felt like it at the time, but none of us really minded because here are two of the biggest names in the history of professional wrestling. As Cole lets us know that there are people from all 50 states here in the Astrodome. Now, I don't know how he knows this unless, you know, there's some sort of Ticketmaster records that have come across. Now, if you attended WrestleMania 17, I I would love to hear your story, especially if you came from South Dakota or Montana or some some weird state where there aren't that many people and they had to bring somebody in to fill out the 50. It would be funny if they flew somebody in from, like, Alaska just to make sure that they could get all 50. Of course, odds are that they're just making this shit up because this is professional wrestling. So we're going to get a rehash of a lot of what is going to be coming up on the show. Now, thankfully, here... We do have a pre-show match for WrestleMania 17, but that is not until the very end of the show. So until then, a lot like last week with WrestleMania 10, you're going to get recaps of the events leading up to matches at WrestleMania 17. Starting with the opener, which would be William Regal, the commissioner of the WWF, versus Chris Jericho, a fun feud for being two guys who I have found wildly entertaining for extremely long stretches of time. Entertaining for longer periods than I would find a normal professional wrestler. Jericho, of course, is famous for having reinvented himself numerous times, which I think is a lesson for humanity in that you should try to reinvent yourself every so often and learn new things, try new things. I'm not saying we all need to, you know, act like a washed-up rock star and peddle conspiracy theories about viruses and so forth. But hey, a lot of other stuff Chris Jericho has done has been pretty good. Now, William Regal, no complaints from me. I mean, I've already said that on my deathbed, I want a GIF file on a big screen playing of just Stephen Regal walking to the ring in various stages. Just him, like, you know, acting disgusted towards the people now who knows it could my demise could not be far off given current events going on funny how jericho goes from the opening match at this wrestlemania to the main event at wrestlemania 18 and then he goes back to the opening match at wrestlemania 19 against Shawn michaels i think it was the opener i don't really care to watch wrestlemania 19 it, it just does not I know everybody thinks it's good, but I, I, I really don't need to see Triple H win that clan match against Booker T. I, I really, really do not. So a little bit of a recap with Commissioner Regal and Jericho being the ne'er-do-well who has been screwing with him. Or more accurately, well, he screwed with them and then Regal went back and got at Jericho by having him in a long gauntlet match, putting him in handicap matches, and so forth. Tonight, that your favorite letter is the 
at WrestleMania, Chris Jericho will be facing myself. You cannot besmirch soil. The commissioner's team. Hey, wait a minute. They're, they're doing Jericho and doing the tire one more time for the one-upsmanship on the commissioner. This Sunday, I will not only become the new Intercontinental Champion, but I will make Chris Jericho feel like he's been hacked up with a bloody hatchet. No, the whole thing seems a little bit crude with Jericho peeing in Regal's tea and then him drinking it, but it does seem to be the style at the time. I mean, you had a porn star wrestler, although he would get phased over into one of the right to censor guys. I mean, after all, this is a country in 1998 that impeached a president over him finessing his way in front of a grand jury to not admit getting a blowjob from an intern. (laughs) Unsurprisingly, a good match between Regal and Jericho as Jericho prevailed retaining the Intercontinental title. And they cut to Regal in his office where he's talking to a picture of Queen Elizabeth II, which is kind of funny to me because she's still there. Such a wonderful day. And you know, it's such a wonderful day for the World Wrestling Federation. Not to mention a wonderful day to be Commissioner William Regal. But most of all, dear, it's a wonderful day to become Intercontinental Champion. Now, I know this doesn't really apply to anybody who's listening to this in the United Kingdom, but just a little perspective on how long Queen Elizabeth II has been around. She became queen when the NBA, and I know I have a basketball-addled mind right now, didn't even have a freaking shot clock. Okay, that, that, that's how prehistoric the game was. Mickey Mantle was in his second year with the New York Yankees with Queen Elizabeth II. <laughs> it's just so crazy to me uh, that the fact that she's still there and, and God bless her. Yes, God save our queen and all that stuff. So they go to footage of WrestleMania access. And this is certainly the early years of that. Now, I did not go to that. I really had no desire to go to that last year. I think they had it down like Coney Island way or someplace else. But I wasn't too interested staying in northern New Jersey. My whole thing was I wanted to be close to the stadium because I knew how important it was to have a short drive back after WrestleMania, given the obscene hour that it was likely to end. And also, there's too much else to do. On WrestleMania weekend. Yes, there's a lot of independent shows that are piggybacking off the main show. And I don't understand why anybody would have a problem with that. I mean, they're going to run shows where they know wrestling fans are. That's how this works. It, it is to make money. That This is a business. It's It's not anything else. This is a business for profit. So that's why you see all these shows. And I remember seeing the insane schedule that for Tampa of all the various shows that were going to be there. And, you know, it it kills me that, you know, none of it is going to take place. And I say that as somebody who really has no interest in probably about 80% of it. And even if I was in Tampa, I might go to one or two of them. But I really don't want to overdo that sort of thing. And they play clips of WrestleMania Access, where you get to meet the superstars of the World Wrestling Federation. Superstars such as Chris Benoit. Oh, God. Why do they have to show him first? Trish Stratus. Mick Foley, who, I will admit, 
in these situations, maybe it's because he's been retired for a year now and isn't scrambling his brains. He he's he's funny. He makes me chuckle. This is uh, fan access weekend. I'm at the community relations booth. Some ridiculous uh, fan has agreed to spend two hundred dollars for a personalized Mr. Socko. I personally think that two hundred bucks is a little a little much uh, to spend for a Socko, especially when like I'm scalping these two tickets to WrestleMania for only two hundred bucks. The other thing that I'm sad. About, even though I wasn't going to be there, I was interested to see how the marketplace for tickets was going to be for WrestleMania in Tampa. Because I knew last year, with it being in the New York City metropolitan area, it was obviously going to be priced a lot higher just because it's a larger population that can get there, more of a population that would want to go to WrestleMania. So obviously, when I had to pay for my ticket, I paid over $200 for a seat in the 300s or whatever the hell it was, the top level at MetLife. Although I was low in that level. I was like in the second row, like when you'd right come out of the vomitory or whatever. And I could see the ring clearly, but the stage pretty much blocked everything else. Like I could not see anybody walking to the ring until they were pretty much to ringside. On this footage for Access, they show The Undertaker and he's talking like a normal human being. And I was like, oh, right, right. This is 2000 to 2003. This is Biker Taker. So the laws of kayfabe do not apply to him. Now, we do get commercials on this program, which is nice because you get a lot of rehash. There's not a whole lot in the way of actual wrestling matches. So 2001 commercials, I probably don't have too much of a memory on it. And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the Hardy Boys, and I'm not talking about Nancy Drew's stuff. I'm talking about the tag team, of course. The they do they're doing an ad for Chef Boy RD. Oh, what what's the gimmick? Delete your digestive track. All right, bro, let's shred. Yeah. When you're carving through some killer powder, or bro, just ripping it to the extreme, you need Chef Boy RD over some beef ravioli. You think that's extreme? This is extreme. Whoa. The zesty, hearty goodness of Chef Boyardee overstuffed beef ravioli satisfies the most extreme hunger. This stuff definitely feeds the need. Hey, give my regards to Mrs. Boyardee. I should be careful because I could be eating Chef Boyardee in a few weeks if I'm not careful given current events. There's an ad for the show Fear, which aired Sunday night on... I wrote the USA Network on here, but I had to remember this. No, no. Heat was on MTV at this time. So, yes, the World Wrestling Federation back on MTV with the changeover in the TV contract in the fall of 2000. So, yes, this show Fear, this was a TV show on MTV, not any relation to the movie Fear with Alicia Silverstone and Mark Wahlberg. Again, this is before the Wahlbergs became annoying and Fear was a movie that I saw in a theater with like two other people that I didn't know, but there was three people total in the theater in Syracuse, New York on a weekday when I was visiting Syracuse University back in 1996. I don't know why I remember that movie so well. It's probably because there was so few people to actually distract me there. And for PlayStation BMX, Honda motorcycles, which I thought was a little weird in the midst of all of this, but one that really kind of scratches me where I itch because I love the stuff that gives you like a time capsule 
of the period that you were in. Obviously, in doing Greg's Mallantown in the past, even up to now, I like playing songs that were big at the time of when the show came out. Maybe I'll play like the number one hit from this week in 2001. But they run commercials, and they still have these today. The Now That's What I Call Music Series, but back then it was just volume six. Throw your hands up for Now That's What I Call Music, volume six. Nineteen hits on one beautiful CD, including U2, Destiny's Child, Shaggy, and Backstreet Boys. W, Samantha Mumba, and Evan and Jaron, you'll be crazy for this CD. When you order now six with your credit card or by check debit, you'll also receive this limited edition Visor CD holder absolutely free. I had a Visor CD holder in my car as recently as 2014. And once that car got totaled, I got the new one. I had Sirius XM in there. I didn't really have the need for CDs that I did at one one time. I think I keep three CDs in the car. I think it's Exile on Main Street the best of the gap band and there's one other and i can't remember what it was because it's been so long since i've actually used any cds in my car i think the gap band is the one that's in the cd player most of the time so they come back as michael cole says they're expecting sixty-five thousand here in the astrodrome which is a legit number you don't hear a lot of argument over that the same way you do for the silver dome at wrestlemania 3 which I said this on the Adams Division podcast, and I've said it before probably on this podcast, but I have to say it again. 93,173, yeah, that's not the real number. But 78,000 is not the real number just because Zane Bredsloff said so. It was probably somewhere in between because the capacity for football of the Silverdome was 81 to 82,000. And there are not empty there are not 3,000 empty seats in that building from every single photo that I've seen the overhead stuff like I really don't care but my point is they did not fudge the number for the Astrodome because they could have sold as many tickets as you know seats that they could fill in that place again goes back the fact that they didn't run a stadium for WrestleMania 15 or the year before, which should have been WrestleMania 16, but they called it something different, seems kind of strange. So now we go on to previewing our next match at WrestleMania, which is for the WWF women's title. It is not the Divas title at this time. China versus Ivory. Just kind of a strange match in... They're just building up the, is China 100%? Because they spike pile drove her, and oh, does her neck hurt? But then it ends up being a total squash, which is as it should be, because China is presented as this character who's who's comparable to basically the men's intercontinental level. So, And they're not presenting the women at that, you know, as a whole on that level. So she's in that division, 
and it's the literal definition of a division killer. Like, what I feared that Ken Shamrock was going to be, because I thought that MMA meant that somebody could never be beaten. I mean, China had won the IC title at one time, and now she's in the women's division against much, much smaller people who are not as strong, such as Ivory. And as they go through the video package, of course, we're treated to China's shitty handspring back elbow. My friend China, after I broke her neck and sent her to the hospital, well, she's just never been the same. You know, China, there's nothing more that I would love to do than to humiliate you again in front of the entire world. I absolutely didn't hate this match, and I'm going to tell you why. Because they didn't go into it because it's WrestleMania and say, let's have Ivory go 50-50 with China. They embraced the fact that China had this significant advantage over her and effectively squashed her in less than three minutes. And that's fine, too. I think back to Rey Mysterio against Samoa Joe at last year's WrestleMania, which ran on and on. And that match lasted about a minute, minute and a half. And to me, that was fine, because the story was that Rey Mysterio was coming in with an injury, and Samoa Joe just squashed him like a bug. And that was pretty good. I got to see a Samoa Joe match at WrestleMania, a singles match. You know how hard it is to get a singles match on WrestleMania? Apparently... (laughs) Apparently, and I only learned this recently, Dolph Ziggler had never had a singles match at WrestleMania until this one coming up, I guess. Which, I mean, obviously part of it is because Dolph Ziggler completely sucks. But, you know, the fact that he's been around for so long, I mean, you know, you hang around, you're bound to get something. One thing I do admire about Michael Cole and Taz on on this show, but just, just with Taz, is... I adore Taz just leaning in to the accent, like, really, really hard. I'm I'm glad that he does that. As somebody who tries to not betray the Boston accent as much on this show, of course, if you listen to the live one, I couldn't really edit out so much of my stuff. And me and Keith, is like, the two townies in a freaking South Boston bar. So they go to China (laughs) in, like, an interview setting, at Access or, or, or some sort of event where <laughs> she kind of buries the match like, yep, I'm going to kick her ass. I'm laughing because I am more than 100% fit. I'm telling you I'm 110% physically fit. And I'm laughing at that because little did she know at that time as her you know cronies ran in at that time that now there's going to be nobody else there allowed at ringside. It's going to be me and Ivory. And Ivory's in for a lot of trouble and I'm in for a lot of fun. Wait, is that in the, is that in the contract about 
that is a stipulation in the contract my lawyer then put in that none of right to censor besides Ivory will be allowed in the ring at that time. So it's going to be one-on-one -on -one tomorrow night at WrestleMania. Nobody else from the outside, you and Ivory in the ring. What does that mean you're going to do to Ivory? Come on. You really need to ask that, Michael Cole? <laughs> I'm going to have a good time. That's what I'm going to do. WrestleMania 17 is going to be the best ever for me. I don't really think of China as a quote-unquote women's wrestler. I sort of think of her as her own entity who came along far too soon because, yeah, she was not the greatest quote-unquote worker as a women's wrestler. I know I make fun of the backspring, you know, the elbow, and it's not all that good, but... If, if she had come along in an era where she has opponents who, you know, care as much about... Be, I mean, not to say that Ivory is particularly bad, but she kind of dwarfs Ivory. Like, throw China in there with Charlotte, who is, you know, pretty well built. Or Shayna Baszler. Oh, my God. A China-Shayna Baszler match. Now, that would that would really be something. Now, I don't talk about a lot of modern product, but China versus Shayna Baszler would be quite the match for a lot of different reasons so it's a shame that china had not come along years later stone cold the rock wrestlemania WrestleMania, live, tonight on Pay-Per-View. This is how you know you've done an effective hype video. It's been 19 years since that, and just hearing that song hits me in such a way where I want to go back and watch that match again in spite of the crappy finish, which I'll get to a little bit later, but everything leading up to it was perfectly great as they go into the ad break and one of them is for the flintstones viva rock vegas that is on some sort of pay-per-view which i was scratching my head because that movie had come out a year before actually it was on stars that's i i neglected to put that in my notes so on a basic cable channel flintstones viva rock vegas none of the people who were in the original flintstones like five or six years before came back although Jane Krakowski as Betty Rubble is probably an upgrade there, I, I'll have to say. Although she certainly had a renaissance later on with 30 Rock, which I've been re-watching on Amazon because when I noticed that it was there, I thought to myself, oh crap, they're, they're probably going to take this away to put it on that Peacock channel that they're going to come out with, same as Parks and Rec. And then I realized that, yes, I have most of the 30 Rocks on DVD somewhere. But, you know, to, to find all that stuff, you know, it just feels like a bit of a pain in the ass. Lenny Kravitz's greatest hits also advertise. I mean, they're heavy on the music ads on this. I mean, like I said, now that's what I call music is on here as well. So they play... A WrestleMania moment. And this is not like the kind of WrestleMania moment like, oh, look, Zack Ryder won the Intercontinental title. And it doesn't freaking matter. And they call it a WrestleMania moment anyway. Here, it's from the very first WrestleMania. And I'm kind of surprised to see something from 1985. But in, in 2001, they own the competition. They can acknowledge their history. And in this case, 
The Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov, both of whom are going to be on WrestleMania 17, win the tag team titles. And they've got Volkov two-on-one in the center of that ring. Referee now just admonishing Mark Dakota. Look at this. Oh, he nailed him with a cane. The Iron Sheik got a hold of Blatchy's cane and nailed Wyndham from behind. A new champion. New champions of the world. I had a thought that kind of speaks to the evolution of professional wrestling or lack thereof in more recent years. WrestleMania 17 is closer to the first WrestleMania than it is to the current day, which just sounds crazy, but it's true because if you look at it, like the way the stage is set up and all that, it looks more like now, but it's actually closer to 1985 on the you know time spectrum. And Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov, they're both in the brilliant gimmick battle royal that they had at WrestleMania 17. I was so glad that they carved out 10, 12 minutes to have some fun. Now, 10, 12 minutes is not the length of the match. The match is about 3 minutes and 10 seconds. And the entrances are so long, and much longer than the match, in fact. But as an excuse to get Gene Okerlund and Bobby Heenan on the show... You talk about feel-good moments. I mean, yeah, I just made fun of the whole Zack Ryder thing from WrestleMania 32, and that was pretty BS because it just meant nothing. But having Gene Oakland and Bobby Heenan out there, for anybody who watched the product between 1984 and 1993, which were the years that Bobby Heenan were in the w- and Gene Oakland were in the WWF, to see them out there in this and, and to call all these you know, weird characters... Everybody everybody who was a weird character was in the ring, with the exception of Terry Taylor, the Red Rooster, who apparently just refused to do it because Terry Taylor is just a cock, and that's why he's known as the Red Rooster. And in that vein, two of the participants in the <laughs> gimmick battle royal, I almost call it the Legends battle royal, that's a completely different thing, at the Meadowlands in 87, the Bushwhackers were in that thing. And for whatever reason, they kind of looked younger than they did in the late 80s. I don't know how that works. So they're with Lillian Garcia. And with it being poor Lillian as an interviewer rather than as the ring announcer, of course they're going to have some fun with her. Tonight, WrestleMania, the gimmick battle royal. We can't wait. And you know what? We know the winners. We know who's going to win. But before we tell you, we've got to have some of our fuel because... (laughs) You know how a few minutes ago I was like, China was so far ahead of her time? For the Bushwhackers, I think that they would be the worst tag team in history in the era of COVID-19 coming down to the ring and actually licking fans. I don't think that would be smiled upon in the same way, given recent events. And speaking of, you know, legends, we go now to WWF New York, where, of course, they they have probably the worst coronavirus outbreak of any city because New York is the densest population of, of them all. So WWF New York in Times Square, they have three legends there, Classy Freddie Bassey, Afa the Wild Samoan, and Captain Lou Albano. And they are there. They're going to provide their picks for the Gimmick Battle Royal. The Iron Sheik, and of course, Captain Lou Albano. Gentlemen, welcome. For no other reason 
and I made him the WWF World Wrestling Champion. The Iron Sheik. Freddy Blast, he picks the Iron Sheik. What about you, Alpha? Who do you pick, Alpha, to give me Battle Royale? The Iron Sheik. The only man that can win his Battle Royale tonight is a service himself, and that's the giant Kamala. Hold wow. it, brother. Hold it, brother. I'm talking about Hillbilly Jim. I'm talking about a man that's a legend his own time. I'm talking about a man that can win it all. Hey, right here, one of my champions. Let's hear it right here now. All right, baby. I'm ready to rock and roll. Truly a historic moment. It might be the most sober Captain Lou promo since a championship wrestling back in February of 79. I, I, I think I saw one where he was a little bit more sober at that point. So we go back to Cole and Taz, and now it's on to the ladders match. <laughs> not a ladder match, but the ladders match. I'm not talking, of course, about Michael Cole. He, it would be years before he would have his match unfortunately, for better or worse. Jerry Lawler gets one WrestleMania match, and it's against Michael Call. I mean, give me a break. So the APA, the Acolyte Protection Agency, and Taz took on Right to Censor, which would be Val Venus, the good father, and Bull Buchanan with Stephen Richards outside the ring. And here's how much I like WrestleMania 17 overall as a show. I even like the freaking Bradshaw match, and I hate Bradshaw, although I've softened on him more recently because he hates Mauro Ronaldo as much as I do. I'm not, I'm not going to endorse bullying or anything. All I'm saying that is that you know he was successful in getting him off TV for at least a little while. But I also have to confess, I enjoyed the JBL match against Finley that was the opener for WrestleMania 24, which is a show that I watched about four or five years ago during a snowstorm here in the Boston area, and I was like, why did I just randomly watch WrestleMania 24? I have absolutely no idea. I think it was because, I think it was the first one in HD, and also it was one that I'd never seen before, but I've never sat down to watch WrestleMania 22. I'm never going to watch WrestleMania 23. I, I just don't don't care about that one. But I don't know how I haven't watched WrestleMania 22, considering that I've listened to Big Time by Peter Gabriel about 70 times in the last year, at least according to my iPod metrics. I don't know. Well, you know, WrestleMania used to just take place on Sunday. Used to be this three-hour event. It's actually now a whole weekend. (laughs) A chilling vision of things to come. Cole's talking about all the other events going on, but the funny thing about WrestleMania being over two days, or, quote, too big for one night, as they've apparently now trademarked, is I, I always I thought that they were going to do that after Wrestle Kingdom did that earlier this it was either this year or last year. I don't know. I've lost all sense of time. But in one of the last two Wrestle Kingdoms, they did it over two days, and I thought, yeah, WrestleMania is going to do that because that way they can build in another gate and they get cost savings by getting two shows out of one setup, but they haven't decided to go with that. So I'd be on the lookout for that in Los Angeles next year. I mean, who knows? If SmackDown's still going to be on Friday, that might screw things up because they'd have to run it on Saturday and Sunday. But I do think that that will happen. But what Cole's talking about is a visit to Fort Hood made by some of the superstars in the previous days, including Bradshaw, the biker taker. I I can't in good conscience call him the undertaker because he's just wearing a bandana and not observing kayfabe. Trish Stratus is there despite being Canadian. I don't think any of the boys really cared about that distinction. 
just kind of your normal boilerplate, hey, we're doing this for the troops. They actually went back to Fort Hood in 2018 for the Tribute to the Troops show. But there was one fun little thing where the troops are marching in formation and they're chanting in a kind of tribute to the Undertaker. That's the first cadence that I've ever had dedicated to me. Those guys were right on time. They were large and in charge, but... That's not a bad chant. I was expecting something along the lines of, I don't know, but I've been told this feud with Kane is mighty old. Something like that, you know, referring to the Undertaker of the time. Kurt Angle shows up there. He He's working his normal bit, being funny, putting himself out there as kind of the arrogant heel to the troops, which is why Kurt Angle is awesome. I mean, he's he. It's funny how Kurt Angle is more observant of kayfabe at this period of time than the Undertaker, who just reverts back to what he was a couple of years later after like this three-year interlude of a break. And now they run an ad for the WrestleMania book, and I'm gonna say it that way because that's the way Bob Uecker referred to the program at WrestleMania Four, the Basil DeVito book that came out in 2001, the WrestleMania one that has a DVD inside of it, and I have it somewhere in this basement. I don't know why I would even look at it, though, other than to maybe see how the differences in that book compared with the one that came out at the time of WrestleMania 30, which I also very much enjoyed. But now they go into a formal ad break, and this is something very much of the 1990s and i guess it bleeds into the year 2000 as well mtv rocket jock softball tis the season ah springtime birds are chirping flowers are blooming and david wells just might take down ludicrous as he rounds second base it's gonna get real nasty out there that's right it's that rock and jock time of year again hit the base benny agbayani royce clayton ivan rodriguez method man simon rex Mila Kunis, Redman, and more as they reinvent America's favorite pastime. Rock and Jock Baseball next Saturday at 12. That's some quality programming that MTV or one of its many sister networks could air over these next coming days, weeks, months, however long this lasts. Celebrity softball games are so great because within the same context, you could have Chris Rock striking out on three pitches and then Marley Matlin comes to the plate and you know drives one into the gap like all all in the same game i think that actually happened at a celebrity softball game in LA back in 2009 i thought i remember hearing something about that but david wells and ludicrous and, and then they promote the players that are on there it must be in alphabetical order if you're doing Benny Agbayani, Royce Clayton and then Ivan Rodriguez a first ballot hall of famer we're just going to tack him on last and Benny Agbayani the thing that I remember him most for is well he played for the New York Mets in the late 90s he was on their National League pennant team in 2000 which is probably why he's known you know Benny 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 and the Mets because that makes sense not quite as much when my friend Merrill and I were serenading him from the left field stands at Camden Yards when he was with the Red Sox in 02. You know, Benny and the Sox. It doesn't quite work so well. Royce Clayton, a member of the 2007 Red Sox World Series winning team. Also commercial for Pokemon Stadium 2. I have absolutely no idea about that world of Pokemon other than 
that that summer about four or five years ago where people were out and about there was some sort of thing down by the front of my house by the retaining wall and i was getting a little bit pissed off at people just like stopping their cars in in front of my house and just like walking around with their phone It, it, it would kind of bug me and then a cell phone ad for an internal antenna that was supposedly to help you get better reception on your cell phone. And the best part about that, well, other than the commercial lasting a full two minutes, is all the phones demonstrated in this. In the year 2001, they're all like that Nokia sort of little brick thing. There's no iPhones back then. There's no Samsung Android or anything like that. It's all basically that same kind of Nokia style. As they come back from commercial, there are people filing into the Astrodome. And I realize that, yes, they, they tear off the ticket and just, like, throw it in a box and you go through the turnstile. And that's how we figure out the the attendance. Unless the ghost of Zane Breslov rises from the dead and tells you. In, in which case, they, you know, that's just solid gold. We go into maybe the most memorable undercard match of WrestleMania 17. I mean, there is a whole lot of them. The Tag Team War, TLC2. And I I sound like a guy who's not much for spot fests. And I think I have to be in a certain mood for them if I'm watching them now. But back then, it was completely different. Because the thing that I remember most about Edge and Christian versus the Hardys versus the Dudley Boys is... The people at Hooters were all up for these spots. Like, the the roar every time something amazing, some amazing stunt would happen in that match. And Jeff Hardy certainly left it all out there. But what I like about the feud of these three teams is they're all very, very different. You got the Dudley boys in sort of, you know, they're, they're bigger dudes. They're with their Hanson brothers motif from the movie Slapshot, which is the actual inspiration for where... They got the glasses and a lot of the sort of goofy look from the Hardys, who are just kind of high-flying stuntmen, and Edge and Christian, who are more, I don't want to say classic wrestlers, but they're two Canadian boys who, you know, kind of get kind of get vicious at times with the chair concerto. They're probably obviously more similar to the Hardys, but you don't think of Edge or Christian as any sort of high flyers by any means, even if Edge did that spear off the ladder that is just insane in retrospect. So Kevin Kelly is at the autograph session where the Dud- Dudley boys, the Hardy boys, uh, there's too many boys in this. That's all, all I could say. I'm glad that Edge and Christian aren't like the Canadian boys or something. That would be really confusing. And he risks eternal deletion by interrupting Matt Hardy during this. Yeah, I mean, uh, what can you say? It's TLC 2, it's TLC, TLC, it's the match we created, us, along with Edge and Christian, the Dudleys, and, you know, obviously we want to walk out of WrestleMania with the tag team titles, you know, that's our goal, but, you know, this almost goes above and beyond the championships, Kevin. I mean, what Edge and Christian, Rhino have done to lead in, myself, it's so personal. This has been a two-year culmination between the Hardys, Edge Christian, and the Dudleys, and it's going to end tomorrow. It has to. Yes, indeed, Matt Hardy. This is the last time you will ever have an issue with Edge. I'm sure that nothing will come up in the future, especially involving Leader or anybody else in this match, that would cause a problem between Matt Hardy and Edge. I, 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 I've never been more certain of anything in my entire life. But seriously, this is a rare example 
TLC2, because you had the earlier one at the previous year's SummerSlam. You had the match at WrestleMania 2000 as well, which was more of a straight-up ladder match, where the massive hype for it, when you when you massively hype a match, and the example that always comes to mind is Mr. Perfect versus Shawn Michaels at SummerSlam 93. I know, a Shawn Michaels match didn't live up to the hype because he was a fat guy during that time period and Mr. Perfect wasn't, you know, what he could have been or who knows what it was. But they were proclaiming that was going to be the greatest intercontinental title match of all time, which Mr. Perfect had the Bret Hart match at SummerSlam 91. It's like, okay, well, that's a pretty high standard. Yeah, Savage Steamboat as well. So you build it up and then you make it impossible for it to meet. So it feels disappointing, even if it ends up being good, which Mr. Perfect and Michaels wasn't even at that point. But there's so many other examples of that through history. But this one, TLC2, certainly lived up to the hype. And one thing that I find interesting, thinking back to all of those matches, is Edge and Christian won every single one of them. It's not like they 50-50 booked these things, or in a more accurate sense, I guess it would be 33.3, 33.3, 33.4 booked them. I don't know where you'd get that, but I want to make sure the extra point one, but I want to make sure that it adds up to 100%. So Triple H and The Undertaker, apparently had a run-in at access but we're not supposed to uh, we're not we're supposed to pretend that this match didn't happen in like the canon of both the undertaker and triple h yes of course it counts in terms of the streak but when you're promoting years later oh triple h against the undertaker at wrestlemania 27 at wrestlemania 28 it seems like oh yeah they had this match earlier on a decade before but we're not going to acknowledge it for whatever reason because i guess it just happened too long ago as the undertaker is referred to houston's own the undertaker like come on man you can't look i know he really is from texas but you've been saying he's from death valley and that was a great part of the shtick but it's one of the all-time great kayfabe hometowns even though hardly anybody lives in death valley it's a great place to visit if you can ever get out there i have been out there twice i've been to Badwater salt flats which is where the hottest temperature at least i believe in the northern hemisphere has been recorded it was 134 degrees when i was there it was significantly cooler it was like 85 because it was february and november so is kevin kelly interrupts triple h during a sort of weird pose session where they're i think they're taking the little driver's license photos that they put up in the graphics and kevin kelly very good broadcaster for new japan and ring of honor in recent years <laughs> as a kind of a, a question that's silly to me for triple h asking him are you ready considering that his old dx song was all about are you ready triple h excuse me for interrupting it's it's obvious that you're physically ready to go but are you emotionally ready for your battle against the undertaker first of all you come here and interrupt me who the hell do you think you are Second of all, have you ever, have you ever seen me not ready? I look ready, I feel ready, inside my head, I am ready. I have never been more ready for anything in my life. The Undertaker wants to come out here and talk about, this is his yard. That ring is his yard. 
Well, Big Dog better bring all his teeth. Because when he takes a bite of the game, he's going to get more than he can chew. I'm not entirely sure where we can draw the line of when The Undertaker starts getting called the Big Dog, which, of course, comes into play at WrestleMania 33 with his match against Roman Reigns. And this is my yard now. And Roman's just unbelievable promo. The giant F you to the post-WrestleMania Raw audience where he just stands there, lets them chant, says, this is my yard now. One of the best Roman Reigns promos because it wasn't overly scripted because it was just a few words. The nickname, Big Dog. A lot of people have that over the years. Looking it up, so who was calling Bill Clinton Big Dog? I, I don't know. I don't remember that at all. But a lot of athletes have had that over time, in addition to The Undertaker and Roman Reigns. Ernie Nevers, who is a great football player in the first half of the 20th century. So really, hardly anybody alive would have ever seen him play. Tony Perez, the first baseman on the Big Red Machine Cincinnati Reds, was also nicknamed the Big Dog. That's not a little before my time, so I don't necessarily remember that. Basketball player Antoine Carr in the 1980s and into the early 90s was known as the Big Dog, although he's not listed as one of the Big Dogs on Wikipedia, which is definitely an oversight. But they do list Glenn Robinson, first overall pick of the 1994 NBA draft, who kind of controversially was nicknamed the Big Dog, considering that Antoine Carr was still active in basketball at the time. And you can't have two Big Dogs at the same time. That's why the WrestleMania 33 match happened. It's it's sort of like how, well, I guess LaDainian Tomlinson was called LT, but at least Lawrence Taylor was retired. It was just kind of lazy. He should have been known as LDT, which he was in some circles. So a proper commercial break, but there's nothing new at the beginning at least the fear gnc which you see in pretty much every shopping mall i wonder I, I never i never think of gnc anymore there used to be one in the woburn mall where i lived but uh of course that mall is now long gone and is being redeveloped but we do get salvation at the end as i had said you're getting a lot of music advertisements on this show which makes sense it is music television they, they used to show music videos before they would show this Jersey Shore piddle and crap, but <laughs> this one is is quite good. It is called, and I this is true, Monster Booty. All I want to do is on my zone, 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 and a All I want to do is on my zone, zone, Want to make new friends? Wiggle it just a little bit. I want to see you wiggle it. Want to be more popular? Then get Monster Booty, the fattest booty tracks of all time on one non-stop collection. I like big butts and I cannot lie. You other brothers can't deny. And when a girl walks in with an itty bitty waist and a round thing in your face, you get sprung. I put my hand up on your hip. You can order this collection online at musicspace.com. Certainly a lot of one-hit wonders on that compilation. In fact, I, maybe I should look that up to see how many of those songs I actually have, or perhaps see if I could still order Monster Booty. Maybe I could find it on Amazon. I do have to say that Baby Got Back by Sir Mix-a-Lot, while a fine song and all, I, I've just heard it too many times. It's in that now that category of Hotel California 
or You Shook Me All Night Long by ACDC. Like, I can't listen to that song anymore. Like, I've just heard it too many times because, you know, just the airplay, not only on commercial radio, but it gets a lot of run on Sirius as well. But, you know, I do... (laughs) The thing I'll always remember is one of those I Love the 90s shows where they were playing Sir Mix a lot and Stuart Scott, the late Sports Center host, said that, yes, that is, in fact, the... (laughs) Black Man's National Anthems. <laughs> that one has always stayed with me. As we come back from commercial... Oh, wait, I, I, hold on. Breaking news. I just checked that Monster Booty is available on Amazon, and you can get it Prime, but there's only one left in stock. But it's $27.80. I don't know how that would have appreciated in value. I guess it must be a supply thing. I, I do pretty much like all of the songs on here. Bump and Grind by R. Kelly for the days when, you know, he wasn't known for pissing on 13-year-olds. And from that, from one criminal to another, we go from R. Kelly to Chris Benoit as we see footage of Benoit tapping Eddie Guerrero on a recent, must have been Raw, I don't think it was SmackDown, just based on the set or whatever. So he taps out Eddie Guerrero, and then Angle runs in and taps out Chris Benoit. And I like the idea of this match. Like, who is the better professional wrestler? This is kind of old school. But in promoting the match, I would much rather hear from Kurt Angle on, on this particular show. But unfortunately, we get to hear from Dave Meltzer's Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Famer, Chris Benoit. You know, while Kurt Angle was rolling around the mat, an amateur trying to win some gold, I was already in the ring proving myself to be the best technician the world has ever known. All his medals, all his trophies, all that crap that comes out of his mouth. Oh gee, pardon me for not calling him a great technical wrestler since he almost brought down the entire industry with his actions. I mean, hey, fair is fair. And I am not watching that dark side of the ring, at least the Chris Benoit one. Do I really need, when I'm locked in my house and I can't go anywhere, to sit down and watch that for two hours, of all things? I mean, yeah, if it was like something out, like New Jack... That's a little bit more comical because you just feel sort of cut off from from that world. But New Jack never brought down the entire wrestling business or threatened to. He threw a guy off a scaffold. I mean, those those things happen. I, I don't mean to underplay it or anything, but he never murdered two people. Well, at least that we know of. Maybe I shouldn't say that. Uh, we really we really don't know what uh, what he may or may not have done. So why don't I just move on to the next thing that they are promoting which is the Vince McMahon versus Shane McMahon match and boy did the hoo-ha in that one do it a lot of good neither one of them is particularly you know a quote-unquote technical wrestler like a Kurt Angle or the other guy but all the things that they did around it with with Linda in the wheelchair Vince making out with Trish, which, yeah, is a little little bit creepy. Shane swooping in to buy WCW, which uh, I don't I don't quite understand how you, you make a verbal deal with Vince McMahon and then somebody with the same last name can swoop in. But, hey, you know, it's wrestling. I should have a greater tolerance for, for BS, you'd think by now. Let me take you back a little walk down memory lane, shall we? I think you have a, a very great future. I would 
exactly what he wants to do to whomever he wants to do without worried about ramifications. So my question to you, Dad, is do you want to play? That's right, Dad. I'm challenging you to a match at WrestleMania. I've never backed out from a challenge in my life. You've got me at WrestleMania. I will never, ever forgive your mother for giving birth to you. Now, looking back, you might say to yourself, poor Linda for subjecting herself to this, where she's in the wheelchair and she's watching Vince, her husband, make out with Trish Stratus, not only in front of her, but in front of the whole world. She, it was the first cucking angle that the WWF did. Of course, now they were running them three at a time on Raw in late 28, uh, 2019 when Heyman took over. But that that's for another time. The point I want to make is don't feel bad for Linda McMahon because she was probably into this. She's not an unwilling participant in all of this. She's probably down with all of that. The fact is, she, Linda McMahon, probably gets off on this stuff just as much as Vince does. How do you think they end up finding each other? And besides, sometimes it is the women you least suspect who are like that. You have to grab your competition by the throat, and you've got to squeeze the life out of your competition. Just like I did to WCW. Just like I'm going to do to my son's shame. Surprise, Dad. Your ego has gotten the best of you. You wanted to finalize this deal, WCW, at WrestleMania. Well, Dad, that's just the opportunity that I was looking for. Certainly a fun rewatch, that street fight between Vince and Shane with Bick Foley as the referee who plays into the finish by knocking Vince down in the corner with a series of rights setting up the Shane coast-to-coast, which is the best one that he ever did just because of the stage that it was on. Of course, that type of thing, because the mat- that match was so enjoyable for many people through the years, it led to so many more inter-McMahon rivalries and matches and all this other stuff where they were inserting themselves into the product almost like they're Ganyas for God's sakes and they didn't trust anybody else to actually be a top performer. So it's kind of like the groundhog seeing his shadow where you get six more weeks of winter or in this year's case, six more months of quarantine. They have a good match and we end up getting uh, 16 years more of McMahon's all over the product, which, you know, sometimes is fun when it's Vince showing up every so often, but uh, Shane's comeback since 2016, I can't think of too much that I have hated more in professional wrestling than Shane McMahon's comeback from 2016 to 2019, because while it may have had some potential, Shane reverted to the character, the annoying character that he was from 1998 announcing Sunday Night Heat. He he just bothered me to the core. Like, I want to run Monday Night Raw. Okay, well, if you want to do that, you have to face The Undertaker. And then it's a horrible match that goes on for, like, literally four and a half hours. He jumps off the cage. Big freaking deal. Who who cares? He, He jumps off a thing. We've seen this before. 
And then he ends up getting control of Raw anyway because they were going to do the brand split. It's so stupid. Basically, it just reminded me, oh, yeah, we don't do storytelling around here anymore. Stone Cold. WrestleMania live next on pay-per-view. Sorry, I was getting a little overheated there talking about the McMahons and how they overwhelmed the product at various points in time. That I had to play that again just to kind of calm myself down and get me fired up in the right direction. April comes in with a bang on Black Star with big hits, big comedy and more. Surprise, surprise. Uncut, commercial-free, 24-7. It's not your basic cable. You've got to dial the digits to get it. It's all for you on Black Stars, celebrating the black experience. For some reason, and I don't know why, I get one Stars channel, and I don't know which one it is. It's like 785, and it's entirely random, and you'd never know that I had it unless you flip by it, and I make it part of my somewhat regular rotation. It's Stars in Black is what it's now known as, that channel, which was called Black Stars there. It had actually just been rebranded at that point. Stars in Black focuses on black cinema and urban entertainment, carrying a mix of first-run hits, classic and pan-African films, and original productions. Launched in 1997 as a joint venture with BET, Stars in Black was originally known as BET Movies Stars 3 until 2001 when BET opted out of the venture during its purchase by Viacom then owner of rival premium service Showtime. It was then named Black Stars from 2001 to 2005, which is when it would have adopted the name that it has kept to this day. I feel like there's been no better time for premium channels than now. I know with people losing their jobs or being laid off, it might not be the best time to be paying $15 or whatever it is for HBO or HBO Go, but... Uh, I mean, when you're trapped in your house, I mean, you, you kind of have to go with what you have. But I just recommend YouTube TV, so long as you have good enough internet to stream that. There are also ads for MTV.com, which I thought was funny because I've never once gone to MTV.com. Like, I've, I've never even thought of it. Like, oh, I'll go, I'll go to that website? Like, no, no, I never, ever thought, given a single thought to it. And then a bunch of repeats of ads earlier, and then one for... Dish TV, which I've never considered getting Dish TV because it always seems like there's some sort of contractual struggle going on with them where it's like, oh yeah, Dish TV dropped CBS, so you can't watch the Super Bowl. I feel like that happens with them a lot. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your Jim Ross coming out to the Oklahoma fight song. Perhaps I should rework one of my podcasts and just play the Boston University theme song, and that would be the anthem for the podcast. Anyway, pretty good times for Jim Ross and the Oklahoma Sooners since they finished 13-0 and national champions in the 2000 college football season. They didn't have a lot of huge names, as I recall. I'm like going down the roster. Josh Heupel was their quarterback. don't really remember him doing a whole lot 
in the NFL, but there's really no shame in that. He eventually became a coach. And Jim Ross certainly near the peak of his powers at that time. As Taz, upstairs with Michael Cole, decides to ditch him and (laughs) heads down to get ready because his match goes on second, so there's no use waiting up there. And now it is time for, well, what I thought was going to be too cool in the pre-show heat match before WrestleMania X7-17. I'm going to call it 17 because that's the way I feel. No, we get the unlikely duo of Steve Blackman and Grandmaster Sexe. Now, I don't know how this came to be. They do show a clip of Grandmaster asking Blackman if he was going to dance from earlier on. Let me tell you something. I'm no equal weapon. These legs are made for kicking, not for dancing. No, those legs are made for kicking. Kicking it with too cool. <laughs> Come on, Steve. No, listen to me. I'm a street fighter. I'm a third degree black belt. I, I know what you are. I know what you are. And I know what 65,000 screaming fans want you to do. They want you to get funky with the Grandmaster. Can you do it, Steve? I can't believe I'm going to do this. <laughs> oh, yeah. Give me some, dog. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. They seem to do this a lot with Steve Blackman is put him in a team with a goofy guy and he acts all serious and comedy is supposed to ensue. I mean, you know, some of it was okay and this was mildly amusing. And we asked the question, will he actually do the too cool dance in the ring? And the answer is yes, but in yet another Kevin Dunn directed snafu, I, I, I have no doubt that it was him. They actually zoom away as he starts to dance a little bit, and then when they go to the ringside handheld camera, the guy holding it just shakes it violently to the point where, oh right, that that's what they do in their productions, like all the way to the year 2020, and it goes all the way back to 2001 with them doing this kind of stuff, and probably before. I mean, it's not like I've sat down and watched a lot of, I don't know, 1999 Raws lately. I was operating under the assumption that Scotty Tuhati must have gotten hurt at some point in time, and the storyline was that he had a broken ankle, a broken ankle, a broken ankle at the hands of Kurt Angle, literally, but it was actually a vertebrae issue that he had. C5, C6, C7, apparently all of them were an issue for him. And while he was out rehabbing that injury, the Grandmaster Sexay got a into a little bit of trouble at the border with regard to drugs. I, uh, because I'm a hockey fan, I call that the full Mike Richards because he was the hockey player who had a long, long, long-term contract with the Los Angeles Kings and got himself into trouble for that. And eventually his contract got terminated. Kind of a rare thing. Of course, Grandmaster Sex A was out of the company by the time Scotty Tuhati comes back. And they are taking on X-Factor. X-Pac, just incredible. And they're accompanied by Albert for some reason. I have no idea how that team came to be. But that's okay. And just incredible. Just watching him here in the pre-show for wrestlemania x7 when in ecw he was the big fish there for the last year year and a half that the company was around and everybody kind of groans and ecw 99 2000 just incredibles over push i, I kind of felt that way in 1998 but in retrospect you had to push somebody and paul Heyman took a shot and usually his instincts are good and he's perfectly fine, I 
guess, but I'm kind of making a face that it doesn't quite live up to the earlier characters in ECW. By which I mean Raven, Sandman, Tommy Dreamer, Shane Douglas before he became completely intolerable. I think everybody sensed that maybe that's a step down from all of that. I mean, the company is kaput, so he's lucky to land here where he was Aldo Montoya some four years before. But his first match in, after being this dominant guy in ECW for a really long time, loses on a housecoat show to Kay Quick, who is now, of course, our truth and is still going strong because the man just never changes. But he and X-Pac formed this tag team, and they did beat Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero on an edition of Raw shortly after he came in. I, there was probably some sort of shenanigans. I don't think Just Incredible went over Eddie in two and a half minutes with uh, That's Incredible or whatever the hell his finisher was called. kind of makes me wonder, what would you rather be, a jobber from the 1980s, like, say, a Rusty Brooks Steve Lombardi, Barry Horowitz, that that kind of guy that you saw, or or even like one of the Mulkies on TBS on Saturday night. Would you rather be one of those guys or just incredible? Whose career would you rather have? Personally, and this may shock you, I would actually go with just incredible because he's far. I think he's far more marketable for uh, conventions and that sort of thing. Not that that really matters right now, because you can't have wrestling fan conventions because of the world that we live in. So they go right into it, and Blackman and Grandmaster, they clean house. I always have trouble with these Brian Christopher matches, because I, I can't. I feel uncomfortable saying Sex A, and I feel uncomfortable saying Grandmaster. I can't call him Granny. Like, what am I going to do? But X-Pac reverses a corner whip. Sex A falls into the buckle. So you think, well, this sets up Bronco Buster. But that actually misses. Sex A climbs up top. Hits a what was called a modified bulldog. It was basically just a face plant to the mat. And he, But then he gets distracted. He gets hit by Albert, who had jumped up on the apron. He clotheslined him. And they cut off the ring. as just incredible. Now gets in there. He goes for pin. Gets a quick two count. There's an X-Pac sucks chant. Although, you get that dome thing where the sound, because it's so cavernous, and not everybody is there, because it's still, I, I guess it's still the pre-show, but now that I think about it, it's probably pretty full if it is live and the show is about to start. So they cut off the ring a little bit, and a spinning heel kick by X-Pac, and I wonder, what was the moment? Was there a specific moment that people turned on X-Pac? I'm racking my brain for this. Or was it just a gradual buildup of grievances against this man who people just decided was very annoying and it just built over time? I don't think it was one specific thing. I think it must have been a lot more gradual. Now, Grandmaster Sexay, he ducks a double clothesline and then does that to both Credible and X-Pac with the clothesline to both. And Blackman does get the hot tag. Comes in. He is a house of fire. Hits a back elbow on X-Pac. Ding. And Albert somehow is on the apron, but he he's crotched on the top rope. And as Blackman turns around, he gets hit with a double super kick by X-Pac and... <laughs> Just incredible. I'm laughing because I'm thinking of the Young Bucks here for whatever reason and just incredible at X-Pac. And how they're all kind of divisive characters as it turns out. But that is how they pick up the victory. One, two, three. And just for the record, that just incredible is has a 1-0 career record at WrestleMania as a result of this. Does the pre-show count? 
I don't know, but the ring apron says WrestleMania, so he is 1-0, which according to all those people who say, well, Tom Brady lost three Super Bowls, well, then that means that Justin Credible is a better WrestleMania performer than The Undertaker because he's 24-2 and or whatever, so that means he lost twice. So the guy who's 1-0 must be better because he never lost. Sorry, I just had to take that out and, you know, I had to get a little bit of Tom Brady stuff out there because I've gone several weeks without mentioning oh, all that, but who knows if there'll even be a football season. That would really break Jim Ross's heart to not have the Oklahoma Sooners hang out on the sideline. They go right to the commentary desk with he and Paul Heyman, a terrific broadcast team. And they did a great job on it. They certainly add to the WrestleMania 17 experience. It would be a good show even with just kind of average commentary. But because those two guys have such good chemistry, dating back to 1990 WCW, although Heyman, I don't think was quite as good at doing color commentary at that time. He certainly had his working shoes on in 2001 in the WWF because where else is he going to go in wrestling? Like He understood what was at stake. And now, finally, you must be wondering, because we've heard about all these other matches at the <laughs> at WrestleMania, like, oh yeah, the world title match, we got to cram that in. And once again, somebody says the name Stone Cold and Limp Biscuit starts playing. admit it's been 19 years i don't know if this would qualify under the mandela effect or what but i don't remember deborah being this involved with austin on screen until after wrestlemania yes when he does the heel turn that at that point i think she's a little bit more involved with him with the silly little skits with kurt angle and all that like she's just sitting there awkwardly I mean, I don't really care for her because her and Austin is a whole other deal, which, uh, I mean, just do a Google search for that and you can pretty much figure out how that marriage ended up going. But uh, yeah, the fact that she's so involved, that is something that in just kind of picturing The Rock and Austin leading to WrestleMania 17, I've kind of blocked all of that out. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's all about Limp Biscuit and them beating the hell out of each other. Is then they just start playing Limp Biscuit over the <laughs> over the highlights of them having confrontations. Austin gives Rock a stunner. 
Rock gives Austin a rock bottom. A rock gives Stone Cold the stunner when they were drinking beer. Kind of suckered him with that. I will give you every drop of sweat, every drop of blood, every ounce of energy I have. You are going to get the absolute best of The Rock at WrestleMania. I need to beat you up. I need more than anything that you can ever imagine. There can be only one World Wrestling Federation champion, and that will be Rock Stone Cold Steve Austin. With all due respect. Check out my melody. It's very easy to block out Deborah's involvement in this storyline because we're talking about two of the biggest icons in the sport, either at or near the peak of their powers. Yes, I know. With Austin, you could say that was more 1998. But when he had this comeback run in 2001, still pretty damn good. Of course, that would all get undone at the end of the match but it still doesn't soil my memory of it i'm not one of those people that's like well i hate the match because the finish stunk because i also factor in the build being so damn good however austin has talked about it on his podcast lots of times of like well it was a mistake maybe i should have called an audible blah 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 and then gave vince a stunner which i really wish he had because you could have delayed the heel turn at least a little bit. I know they wanted to do it on a big stage, but by doing it on the big stage, that actually hurt it, because you're trying to turn Stone Cold Steve Austin, the Texas rattlesnake, emphasis on Texas, heel in Houston, Texas, which is insanely stupid, because they were not going to boo him for nothing. Because we're in the middle of this weird thing where The Rock was getting booed at WrestleMania virtually every year, whether he was babyface or heel. It, it didn't really matter. So what Austin should have done, if he wanted to do the Audible, is been like, April Fool's son, and just said that to McMahon at, when they were sharing the beer. And then everybody cheers then, but you set up this thing now where you now get another month of story where Austin can slowly work his way over into Vince's arms instead of having the sudden thing the way that they did it. But who, who knows? And maybe he could have saved something for the next night, you know, with Rock taking off to go do movies. Who knows? I never claimed to be a very good booker, but I feel like my idea on that is a lot better than what they ended up doing. And with that, that is the end of Sunday Night Heat for April 1st, 2001. Pre-show to WrestleMania 17. Before I go into my usual podcast plugs, on the feed, there is a new podcast uh, with Kelly Nelson and Steve Willie, who you may know from PTBN Wrestling on the show Main Event. They have a new podcast, International House of Combat, which is all about the wild and wacky world of international wrestling. I'm talking England. I'm talking France. And two match matches from there are referenced in the first episode, including one with Al Hayes. Now, I presume that that is Lord Alfred Hayes, Judo Al Hayes, as he is known in some circles. I know Kelly has also done a series on the Macho Man Randy Savage, uh, focusing on that unreleased DVD that came out a couple of years ago. 
that apparently he had never watched and is just kind of taking a podcast journey through that. Speaking of stuff never watched, as I'm looking over at my DVDs, I'm noticing that the movie Hoosiers, which I purchased in 2003, is unopened. It is still in its original wrapping. Maybe I should watch that since I certainly have time for that sort of thing and I'm so basketball addled. Now, as for other podcast plugs, I mean, just on my own feed, I've come out with a lot of stuff this past week with GFA Live number one, Wrestling Challenge, September 28, 1986, with my good pal Keithy Langston, the voice of greetings from Allentown, and of course the Adams Vision podcast, which you can find on my feed and Steve Bennett's Sportscasters feed and on Place to Be Nation Wrestling feed, going through WrestleMania's 1-14, to doing a 10-match card where you cannot repeat wrestlers title matches or use the same title twice and you can't use more than one match at any given wrestlemania kind of an intellectual exercise for whatever that's worth in the world of pro wrestling oh and uh from television city this podcast that i saw that was great uh looking at small wonder uh the the host of that show is very very handsome and he, he sounds a lot like me but uh I, I don't. I don't think it's the same guy. He, he he certainly has similar interests to what I have. Now I had mentioned the sportscasters with Steve Bennett, and he. I plugged this on an earlier show, but he had an interview with hockey Hall of Fame and legendary coach Scotty Bowman, and they went back for like forty-five, fifty minutes. And Scotty Bowman is eighty-six years old, and his. memory is so outstanding for a person of any age but especially for a man of 86 who could remember face-off interference calls from 1970 against the Bruins in the Stanley Cup Finals that still piss him off. I particularly liked Steve going through his time Scotty Bowman's time coaching the St. Louis Blues in the late 60s because they made the Stanley Cup final three years in a row. They got swept all three times. But as Scotty pointed out, they were a pretty good defensive team and they probably do not get that much credit, which is why they were making the Stanley Cup final is they're pretty good. They're much better defensively than any of those other expansion teams in the Western Division. Now, the Our Vantage Point podcast, Joe Morata and Michael Quinn, they're between episodes 170 and 171. So they usually look at something wacky. In this case, it's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the movie, which came out, I believe, 30 years to the day prior to their show being released, reviewing it. So that's kind of interesting. That and... One of the few things I can play on a piano is that that's like the one thing I ever learned. Like I can sit down at a piano and play that. But other than that, don't ask me to go much further than that with the theme song. So do check that out on the Our Vantage Point podcast. That just about does it for me. I do not have any plans for next week's show. So it's going to be a while. It's not going to be a WWF show. And it's going to be one, hopefully, with wrestling matches. I've seen a bunch of things out there that i am got a real hankering to get to. Somebody posted some Crockett 1986. God knows I can't get enough of that. Some old world-class to the point where it's not even called world-class. It's Texas All-Star from 1980. Maybe something like that. I think it's from the weekend of the Who Shot JR thing, which kind of is funny to me for whatever reason so do stay tuned to social media for that and I'll, I'll, I'll post what i have in mind and if i do another live show if i <laughs> if i get enough people free if keithy's available which i'm sure he might be at some point and we can get it posted well then maybe uh have one of those as well but until then 
Why don't you leave a review for Greetings from Allentown on Apple Podcasts or wherever fine podcast reviews are accepted. It provides what is known as social proof that you are listening to and enjoying this podcast. And five stars is definitely always appreciated. There still is a little bit of room here for a quick edition of YouTube Comment Theater. Now, as always, these are actual YouTube comments left by users on the video in question. This one has been up since the middle of 2018. It's got only 6,000 views. Can't imagine uh, why it doesn't have more. It's probably because it's not a well-known channel, and a lot of this stuff has sort of gone away, and also because it's Sunday Night Heat. We'll start with WWF1992, who says, The best WrestleMania and the best Sunday Night Heat of 2001. Well, okay then. Uh, the WrestleMania 17 was the best WrestleMania of 2001. I could not agree more. AM says, So sad China only got inducted into the Hall of Fame with the spotlight-hogging DX. She deserved in by herself. Well, that's a question for another time, but what would the ch- children think when, when they Google her name and you get pornographic images? I mean, Triple H went through all that. AM also adds, the commercials are retro. I remember THQ, that company made some cool games. I remember one, I think it was called 3DO, and they made High Heat Baseball 2004. I mean, I'm not much on video games after a certain point in time. I think in 2001, I bought a Dreamcast, and then they announced that they were doing away with anything to do with that about five days later. So I felt a little burned there. Anoni TF says, I wish I hadn't continued working at the fast food job I had at that time and missed all this live, and just over 100 miles from where I live, too. That job ended on a spectacular note shortly thereafter. Luckily, my dad recorded all this, heat and pay-per-view, and I was up until sunrise watching everything after my shift ended that night. Yeah, see, everybody's got a WrestleMania 17 story. They think they remember where they were because this was all very much meaningful. Thomas Crowley says, end of an era. And yes, it was. I know people, some people like to stretch it out through 2001 or maybe even into like where WrestleMania 18 is all the way up to the draft or even when they have to drop the F. But no, I think this is this is pretty much the end of the era. Based Prince says, too many memories between commercials to the show make me tear up. I really miss these times. That's a very common sentiment in here. Tim Barsh says, this is the last Sunday Night Heat and WrestleMania of the Attitude Era. And then there's six replies all arguing back and forth and along the same lines that uh, I was talking about before. Ken Rising Jaguar 96 says, oh, excuse me, Ken underscore Rising Jaguar 96. Apparently there was already a guy who didn't have the underscore of the same name. Never thought I'd see a Pokemon commercial on a WWF Sunday Night Heat broadcast. Well, you should go back in the days. It was all very kid-friendly stuff. Imagine, like, Toys R Us doing an ad on this. Well, they probably did run ads in the Attitude Era, and I just don't remember it. RJ1982II. Nice hug from Shane when Vince asked for one. I think he kicked him in the nuts because nut shots were being done on the regular at that time. That'll do it for YouTube Comment Theater. will kind of be nice to go back to reviewing shows that have actual wrestling matches. I want to get back into that squash match groove next week. So what promotion and what era will that be? Well, it'll certainly be before the year 2000 because I don't think I'll be up for doing anything from this century. I'd like to move as far away from that 
as possible. So while I get my time machine ready to go back to a time when you could actually go out and hang out with other people and enjoy life and reach out to a friend via text or email or something or Zoom or how, how however you are communicating with the outside world at this point, you'll probably feel good about it after you've done speaking to them. And if you don't feel good about it, well, you could just move on to another person that you haven't talked to in a while. So that is it for me. And do tune in next Thursday for another exciting episode of Greetings from Alidow. WrestleMania, where moments echo through the ages and memories are indelibly etched in the annals of time.